0: We are in our 74th year uh, of ministry at Word of Life, and it's exciting to see all that God has been doing. Uh, Jack Wertzen started this ministry back in whatever, whatever year it is, 2015 minus 75, whatever that was, and uh, a ministry now that spans the globe literally uh, in 66 or 67, I'm never sure which one it is, countries around the world, uh, reaching youth with the gospel of Christ, uh, whether it be through camps, whether it be through local church ministries in churches like this one, or whether it be Bible institutes, of which there are 13 of them around the world right now. Uh, and so literally there are, I'm not sure, but somewhere around 2,000 young men and women right now in Bible institutes around the world, whether that's here in the States, or in the Philippines, or in Hungary, or in Germany, uh, or down in Brazil, or down in Argentina, uh, or South Korea, and I could go on. Uh, it's just really neat every year to see what God does in the lives of young men and women. So in New York, uh, this year we welcomed uh, 600, I'm sorry, 440 students to our campus. And um, it's a powerful experience uh, to just set aside, you know, all of the kind of regular things of life uh, and come together with other young men and women who love the Lord and just spend a really intensive one year or two uh, studying the scriptures and serving Christ together. And uh, that's what the Bible Institute is all about. It's It's got strong academics. It's an accredited program. It's even recognized by the Department of Education. So our students that come and do their work with us, all of that credit is eligible to be transferred on to wherever they're going and whatever they plan to go into. Um, it also opens doors for them for scholarships and financial aid even from the government. And uh, it's amazing how the Lord puts that together for so many every year to take this one year or two and lay a solid, solid foundation in the Word of God before going on to the rest of their college education. And every once in a while, somebody comes up to me and says, you know, is it too late for me? I'm already way beyond that in my life. And I say, there is yet hope. Uh, We have students all the way into their 60s. I think our our oldest uh, married couple this year are in their mid-60s and are studying with us. Now, they're not living in dorms, mind you, but they are benefiting from the program, and it's just so cool to be teaching in class and to look down, and there they are right there, giving it everything they've got to study the Word of God. So uh, we uh, want to invite you to um, become more familiar with the ministry of Word of Life. And uh, not only is it a Bible institute, but up in Scroon Lake, we have a number of different camps that run in the summertime. Uh, we've got the uh, Word of Life Island I was waiting to see if they would be with me here. Word of Life Island, they're working there this summer, or have worked there. And that's our teen camp. It's a 46-acre island in the middle of uh, Scroon Lake. So it's kind of like Alcatraz of old. We take the campers over there, and they can't get off. But we have an amazing time with them for a week in the summer. We have nine weeks of summer camp there on the island. Then we have the Word of Life Ranch. Thank you, Sam. I knew I could count on Sam. That's our children's camp, and lots of horses there, and all kinds of ranch-type, western-type stuff going on. And then we have the Word of Life family campground. That would be my wife, yes. And uh, we live right next door to the campground, so we kind of get involved there. But uh, that is where you can bring your pop-up, or your tent, or your fifth wheel, or whatever you call your motorhome, and uh, come and enjoy an amazing week of teaching from God's Word and activities. And then we have the Word of Life Inn and Family Lodge. Yeah, that's pretty pretty, pretty lame, pretty lame. But anyway, that, that's also for families. It's a little bit more upscale than the family campground. But a lot of changes to the inn. Uh, it's got a brand new name. It's now called the Inn and Family Lodge. And a lot of upgrades to the facilities, making it a far more family-friendly place than it has probably ever been. So uh, in any given week in Scroon Lake, New York, uh, Word of Life, it was, wasn't for Word of Life, Scroon Lake might not even exist. I mean, it's the biggest thing going on and uh, 2 to 3000 people a week are there in the summertime just benefiting from some of the greatest Bible teachers uh, that, that, that we can find in America to come and to open the Word of God. So uh, there's a table at the back that you can check out. Uh, we got stuff on the uh, island. We got stuff on the ranch. We have a parent's quick guide that has to do with questions about the Bible Institute as you explore options with your children for college. That answers some great questions. We have this brand new Word of Life Bible Institute view book, which is kind of a visual journey through our campus. We have the Word of Life Bible Institute catalog, which is really all the nitty gritty information. And I'm curious, are there any alumni here? One there, that's the saved and sanctified section, right there. You're right in the middle of it. Corey's at the back. But uh, the Victory Journal is uh, our publication for alum that comes out uh, uh, three or four times a year. And then uh, any of you that are even the least bit interested in just checking out the Bible Institute, or the BI as we call it, we want to encourage you to fill out one of these little contact cards and leave it with us. And that will allow our, our admissions counselors to just give you a call and say, hey, here what the, here's what the options are. This is what it would look like if you were to spend your year here. Uh, we're handing out t-shirts to those who will fill those out. Uh, they are gold-plated t-shirts, so you will want to get one of those, I'm sure. Um, here's a short video to give you a little bit of the flavor And uh, it's going to, ooh, that was the voice of God almost right there. Um, It's going to sound, it's going to look a lot like camp, but it really is the Bible Institute in action. And it's entitled, Why Do We Do Snow Camp? And uh, probably our biggest ministry piece of the year, and by the way, there are many ministry pieces of the year. We we don't allow students to get through the year without serving Jesus Christ, because you haven't learned something until you've done it. You haven't learned something until you've done it. So whether it's going down to New York City to do open-air evangelism or being out on ministry teams like this or drama or sports. Uh, By the way, we have four different sports teams. We do basketball and volleyball and soccer, and we do not play other Christian colleges. We play secular colleges because we want to represent Jesus Christ on the playing field. And it's neat to see every year we see some uh, athletes come to know the Lord through the testimony of our students who God has gifted in sports. So, uh, But snow camp is probably the biggest piece of all, because for eight weekends, all of our uh, team, all of our students come together and uh, run uh, the most amazing 44-hour weekend that you could possibly want. And they come from all over uh, the Northeast and the Midwest, and we've had groups as far as Lakeland, Florida come to snow camp. And uh, that's almost a sign of the end times right there. That's amazing. (laughs) And... um, It's been so neat to see God use snow camp in a powerful way. We had uh, 1,400 and something campers this year come, and uh, right around 300 of them placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, and about 1,200 of those uh, campers uh, dedicated their lives to the Lord at a very special dedication time that we do. And so this is just a video showing you Bible Institute students in action, uh, taking the word, putting it into practice, and reaching young people with the gospel, why we do snow camp and discouragement and despair, and you will know also what it's like to be trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying to be a good Christian and to live your life in a way that pleases the Lord, only to discover that you're failing and failing and failing and failing and failing. And after a while, I've met so many people that finally just say, hey, I'm done with this. And so I want to just share with you a little bit this morning on the topic of who we are in the Lord Jesus. And if I had a title for this message, it would be this, no longer me, but Christ. No longer me, but Christ. If you have your Bibles, I want to read from Galatians chapter 2, and, and you're going to probably know the verse I'm going to, uh, and therein lies the danger, because you think, wow, I've heard this verse so often, I'm sure there's nothing more I could get out of this, but, but bear with me and let the Holy Spirit of God maybe take this verse and work it over in your heart again, uh, as the Holy Spirit has many times in my life. Several years ago, I was studying at a school, and um, one of the students at that school suffered a severe case of amnesia because during the night, uh, he tripped and fell in the darkness and hit his head so hard that he actually forgot who he was. At first, it seemed like a joke, but it actually was not. And he forgot who his wife was. He forgot who his kids were. He forgot why he was a student at the seminary where we were studying. Uh, he forgot virtually everything about who he was and why he was where he was. And one of the most weird experiences of my life was to walk up to this guy who I know and who knew me less than 24 hours before and to have to reintroduce myself to a person that I knew well. And he'd completely forgotten who I was. I don't need to tell you that that really complicated his life for a season of time. If at this moment, you know, we had one of those men in black experiences and I put this thing in front of you and I clicked it and all of a sudden you forgot everything about your past, you forgot everything about who you are, do you agree or not that it would complicate your life? You wouldn't even know which car to go out to to drive away today because you wouldn't know which one is yours. And what is true of just regular everyday life, friends, is even more true in the Christian life. If we forget who we are in Jesus, nothing works right anymore. If we forget what has happened to us when we were born again, then the whole Christian life becomes, at worst, completely defective, and at best, extremely frustrating. And so I just want us to think a little bit this morning about this whole issue of what happened to us when we were saved. Our theme at the Bible Institute this year is true identity. Just understanding what happened when we were saved and who we are in the Lord. Many times, many believers act and reason and function as though nothing fundamental had changed when they were born again. They reason and act and think and approach the Christian life as though nothing fundamental had changed when they came to know Christ as their Savior, when in fact the teaching of Scripture is that everything changed. The teaching of Scripture is that if any man be in Christ, he is what? A remade person? No. An overhauled, updated version of what they were? No. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Sixty percent of most things have become new. No, all things have become new. And as I listen to myself talk at times, and I look, watch the way I think and reason, and I listen to the way other believers talk and reason and think and act, it, it, it seems obvious to me that many, many times we've forgotten that when we pass that threshold from darkness to light, to light, from death to life, we just didn't change a destination. <laughs> We changed everything about who we fundamentally are in Christ. It's such a radical change that it's called a rebirth. That really kind of threw Nicodemus for a loop. He couldn't figure out how you could squeeze back into your mom and come be born again. But Jesus said, hey, if, if, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And, and, and the teaching of the word of God is that at the moment of salvation, uh, something fundamental changed. changed. And so our whole perspective about ourselves and about our brothers and sisters in Christ is supposed to shift as well. Paul says in one of his books, I believe it's 2 Corinthians, he says, we no longer view people from a fleshly point of view. We used to see people that way, but we no longer do. Meaning what? He has a different perspective in the way he views his brothers and sisters in the Lord, even the way he views himself. And here is one of his most basic verses, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. He's been talking about our freedom in Christ, right? And he comes to this uh, nearing the end of chapter 2. And he says, I'm going to read it verse 19, I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a phenomenal verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Could we just pray? Father God, in these next moments, if your Holy Spirit doesn't speak to us, it's just a speech. And so, Lord, I pray that you would push back the forces of the enemy Who would want to distract us with a thousand different things everything from lunch to what we're going to do this afternoon to what we're facing this week to what happened this last week lord i pray that you would press these things out of our hearts and minds and that you will help us oh god to be like young samuel who said speak because i'm listening and lord i pray that we would be encouraged today as we're reminded about what happened when we were saved And Lord, may it go on to transform our view on so many things. And the Lord, I pray that it would go on to give us a desire, and not just the desire, but the inner power to live out what we already are in Christ. I ask it for Jesus' sake and ask for your help. In his name, amen. Friends, one thing that's pretty obvious to me from this verse and many other verses is that Paul clearly understood that something radical had taken place when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. It was more than just a change of his eternal destiny. It was more than just a change of his career, right? Because he went from being a persecutor of Christ to being a disciple of Christ. But it was deeper than that. It's obvious to me from Paul's writings that he understood that something so fundamental had changed that he was now a completely different person with, and I'm going to use the word we're using, with a whole new identity. He was a new man in Jesus. He was not the same guy that he had been traipsing along the road to Damascus with letters giving him permission to imprison Christians there. Something radical had happened. And what was that? He had become a different person. He had become a new man. He had gone through a radical identity change. And let me phrase it this way. And this is, I'd like you to think of it this way. And it might be a thought that that you've mulled over before and maybe not. But I think it reflects what Paul is driving at in his epistles. As far as my spiritual standing before God is concerned, I have no history apart from the history of Jesus. Let me say that again. As far as it relates to my spiritual standing, my spiritual standing before God, I do not have a history. If I am in Christ, if I am born again, if I am in Christ, I do not have a history that is separate from His. What do I mean by that? You see, the teaching of Paul is that Jesus's history became mine at the moment that I was born again. What do we mean by that? The Scriptures teach that at the moment of salvation... By an amazing miracle of the new birth, we are placed into Christ. He becomes our very life. We become united and identified with him such that when he died, guess what? I died too. When he was buried, guess what? I was buried too. When he rose from the dead, guess what? I rose from the dead. When he ascended and sat in heavenly places, I rose and ascended and sat in heavenly places with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2. As far as my standing before the Father is concerned, I don't have a history that's different from Jesus. I stand before the Father, hidden inside of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Father looks at me, he can't actually perceive me without seeing Christ. And Paul's going to put it this way, I'm no longer living, Christ is now my life. Christ is now my life. Jesus' history became mine at the moment that I was born again. Let's explore that for just, just a minute here today. If I were to ask you, who are you? Which I've already asked several of you this morning because it's my first time in this, uh, th- this church. I mean, it's amazing that I could claim to be a Christian and not have come here before. But anyway, this is my first time in this church. So I've asked a few of you, who are you? First answer is what? Your name. Good answer. If I pressed you further, you might tell me what you do in life. If I kept pressing you further, you might tell me something about your family, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren. You might whip out a photo or two if you're in that category, which is all good. If I pressed you further, you might tell me uh, maybe some more personal details like where you were born and what your birth date is. But you would probably stay more or less on the surface because I'm a stranger to you. And that's all good with me. Generally, what we tell people about who we are is what we want them to know about what we are, and and some of the time we tend to spin that a little bit to make it look maybe a little bit better than it really is. But if if we were to answer the question ourselves with all honesty, who am I, In, in the quietness of my own heart, the answer would probably be something different. In fact, it might resemble what I find people saying in Scripture. I made myself a little uh, list here of people who really kind of answered this question about who they are to themselves. When they think about who they are in relation to God especially. Job said this in chapter 40, Behold, I am insignificant. I'm insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. That's just a nice polite way of saying I just shut up. The centurion before Jesus said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Have you ever felt that way? I am not worthy. Have you ever felt I am not significant? Have you ever felt I am not worthy? I can relate to these words. I think of Simon Peter who falls down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. I can relate to that. I'm a sinful man. I can relate to Isaiah, who after he sees God in Isaiah chapter 6, he says, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am insignificant. I am a sinful man. I am not worthy. I am ruined. I can relate to those statements. They resonate with me. That's how I feel so often. I want to do the good that I want to do. I find myself not doing (laughs) And the evil that I don't want to do, I find myself doing it. You ever been there and done that? Don't, don't raise your hand. Don't need to. We'd all have to put our hands up. But now let's think of this. If you were to ask God, who is Mark? If you were to ask God, who is, and put your name in there. If you have been born again, if Jesus Christ is your Savior if you have been regenerated, if you have been made new, if you have been placed in Christ, if Christ is now your life, all of these things would be true if you were in Christ. God's answer would be this. Mark is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. You say, wow, that sounds almost blasphemous. <laughs> you see, the only reason I dare say that is because that is true of Jesus. And Jesus now is my life. And he is my only standing before the Father. I don't dare approach the Father in any sense of my own righteousness because I don't have a single iota. But I stand before the Father in the pristine perfections of the Lord Jesus who is my life. The implications of that are huge. Who are we in Christ? We are new creations. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. Whether we actually live that identity out or not doesn't change the fact that that is what we are before the Father. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. We are children of God. We are part of His family. We stand in the perfect righteousness of Christ. He is our true identity. He is my only hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 He is my only righteousness before the Father. He is the one alone through whom i can come to the father but there's the point i can come to the father in jesus name and receive a welcome to the throne of grace is it possible to amen on that is that allowed in this church I, I i don't you know many times i forget who i am in the lord so i try to come groveling before the presence of the lord thinking that somehow it has to be all about me myself and i and my credentials and when i'm basing it off my credentials i come groveling at best i come reluctantly at best But the author of Hebrews says that we ought to approach the throne of grace confidently. Why? Because we have a faithful high priest. And the Lord Jesus is our life, and he is our righteousness, and he is our hope, and he is everything that we are not. We don't have a history apart from him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 30 and 34 says this, 30 and 31 says this, by his doing, listen to this, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. See, I hear a lot of evangelical Christian talk going on around today that somehow has set aside this amazing fact that Christ is our life. And when you start forgetting that, then you start playing the comparison games with other people. You start relating your level of holy holy living and righteous living next to other people's probably less holy and less righteous living than yours. We begin to subtly boast in 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 how well we're doing. We base our confidence on how well we're doing well, the Lord probably can use me now because, you know, I haven't missed my quiet time for two weeks, so God must really be able to use me now. God can never do anything with any of us if it just is all based on us. God can never bless us for our sake. He can only ever bless us for Jesus' sake. And A.W. Tozer put it this way, and it's a loose translation, or, or, or a loose quotation, I should say, but he said that, If there's any Christian so good that they think that God can do something great with them, they don't understand sin. And if there's a Christian who's been so awful that they think that they're beyond the grace of God, they don't understand God. There's a lot of truth in that. The scriptures constantly remind us of who we are in the Lord. If you were to ask Paul, who are you? He would say, "I am nothing. Jesus Christ is everything for me. Jesus Christ is my life." He would say, "My life is Christ." The scriptures constantly remind us of this, and the scriptures then go on to exhort us to live up to who we are in the Lord. They exhort us to live up to who we are in Christ. We have been declared righteous in the eyes of the Father because Christ is now our life and Christ is now our identity. So we live from that verdict, not towards it. We have been declared righteous. We don't try to live to that to make that be the case. It is the case before the Father. Therefore, we live from that verdict. We live from that reality. We have been made new creations in Christ. I love the story of the prodigal son. He leaves the father. He goes very, very far from the father. He wastes everything in a faraway land. There he is in the pigsty, and he's eating the leftover pods of the pigs. And he has this moment that perhaps some here this morning need to come to. This moment of awakening, in a way, where suddenly he realizes, hey, what am I doing here? The servants in my father's household are eating better than I am. Here's what I will do. I'll arise and I will go to my father. And so he gets out of the pig pen and he walks back to his dad. And his dad, when he sees him coming, he runs towards him. He sees him from a very, very far ways off. And he runs towards him. He doesn't stand like this going... How can this slob of a so-called son of mine possibly, he's going to have to grovel his way back into my good graces. No, he comes, he welcomes him in the open arms, throws the biggest party. And when the elder brother can't figure it out, he says, you know what? We have to rejoice because this what? This son of mine was lost. And now he's been found. I love the way one writer put it. He says this, when the younger son was no longer considered a human being by the people around him, he felt the profundity of his isolation, the deepest, deepest loneliness one can experience. In that critical moment, what was it that allowed him to opt for life? I love this. It was the rediscovery of his deepest self. Whatever he had lost, be it his money, friends, reputation, self-respect, his inner joy and peace, one or all, he still remained his father's child. The younger son's return takes place in the very moment that he reclaims his sonship, even though he has lost all the dignity that belongs to it. In fact, it was the loss of everything that brought him to the bottom line of his identity. And here's my favorite sentence. He hit the bedrock of his sonship. In retrospect, it seems that the prodigal had to lose everything to come into touch with the ground of who he was. When he found himself desiring to be treated as one of the pigs, he realized that he was not a pig. He was a human being. He was the son of his father. And this awareness of and confidence in his father's love, misty as it may have been, gave him the strength to claim for himself his sonship, even though that claim could not be based on any merit of his own. And it may be that some here this morning, you have gone through a prodigal experience. Maybe you're kind of still in that. I would love it if the Lord would use some of these thoughts to just knock on your shoulder and say, whisper in your ear, hey son, hey daughter, what are you doing here? I don't mean here in this church, I mean here in that life circumstance that you're allowing. Not living up to who you really are. And the enemy is going to whisper in your ear that it's going to be hard to get back into God's good graces. It's going to be hard to come back to the Father because he probably will not have you back after you've blown it. You know, all of your reasoning is based on who you are in your own sense of righteousness and your own goodness of which you have none and neither do I. What a fresh breath of fresh air when we realize that doesn't count who we are. What counts is who Jesus is. And if I place my faith and trust in him, I've been born again and I have a brand new identity. And it isn't the old mark worked over and, and patched up. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his perfections. Thank you. I was going to say, can I get an amen on that? Because that is such an awesome truth. And before I wrap it up, let me just make a little connection here. How did we get this identity? The same way you get any kind of identity. By birth. How how did you get to be in the family that you're in? Three months before you were born, you were handed a sign-up form, right? And you were given some options as to what family you would be born in. You had the option of what your name would be. Uh, you chose your gender. Uh, you chose your citizenship, that it would be born in such a place. No, not at all. You received all of those things through no choice of your own. You got them by virtue of your first birth. It just comes with it. Identity comes with birth. And you also got another thing with that identity that's a real problem. And it comes from not your, well, it comes from your parents, and they got it from their parents, and they got it from their parents, and they got it from their parents, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You got with that package the fact that you were born in sin, and that was your identity. You were a sinner. By the way, when people out in the world sin, don't get upset. They're just doing what comes naturally. You ought to be grieved, not offended. You were by nature children of wrath, says Paul. You were born with that. How did you get to be a sinner? By committing sin? No. By being born a sinner. You sin because you're a sinner. You're not a sinner because you sin. You're, you, 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 we were born this way. So how could there be any hope then of us ever getting to heaven? It would be like, this is my favorite way of saying it, it would be like saying, is there any hope for my cat that it will ever fly? No, because it wasn't born a bird. There is no hope for that cat to fly. The only way for it to fly would be to get the identity of a cat. How do you get an identity? Well, you've got to be born to get one. So you would have to die as a cat. You would have to be reborn as a bird. Nobody's figured out how to make that happen yet. But God the Father, through the genius of salvation, provided a way for you to have a brand new second birth. And the way he did it was, by uniting you, all of who you are, and all the mess that you were, Because sin is a were issue. It's an identity issue. And he pinned it to the Lord Jesus Christ and identified you with him. So that when Jesus died, all of what you were died with him. And it was completely buried. And then when he rose, and we're celebrating that this week, hallelujah. You rose with him too. Lori and I just got back from Israel. We were leading a group of students and staff, 65 of us over there. It was awesome. We had communion at the garden tomb. And uh, then it was like packed with people. And so Lori and I waited for everybody to leave so we could have the tomb to ourselves, which we had for about five, six, seven minutes. And what an amazing thing to stand inside there and to pray together. Jesus is not in the grave anymore. And neither are you. You've risen again to new life in Christ. And so that's why the second birth the new birth the concept of being born again listen to this friends it's not just a it's not just an illustration of salvation it's a description of what salvation is it's not just an illustration of salvation it is salvation you die and you come back to life spiritually with a whole new identity and it's not who you were it's who Jesus is you don't have a history apart from his before the father so what's the take home Are we forgetting who we are? If so, the Christian life will become very complicated for you and very discouraging. But when we grasp who we are in Christ, many, many, many things take their proper place. And I end with this brief but very incomplete list. When we grasp who we are in Christ, many things take their proper place. For example, we can feel secure both temporally and eternally. See, I was saved by grace, I'm being kept by grace, and I will make it all the way through by grace. I wasn't saved by works, I'm not kept by works, I'm not going to get there by works. I'm going to get there because Jesus is my life and he's already there. And I'm there in him. When I understand who I am in Christ, I can face the unknown with courage. When I understand who I am in Christ, I I know what to do when the enemy accuses me. And he does that very well. I can feel confident to approach the throne of grace to find help in time of need. I'm able to receive the grace of God for myself when I understand who I am in the Lord Jesus. And perhaps some of you are having a hard time letting God be gracious to you. Because you want to be responsible for your own goodness before the Father, and you never can be. But you have a beautiful righteousness in the Lord. Not only can you receive the grace of God for yourself, but you're able to minister the grace of God to others. When you remember who you are in Christ, You can find the strength to face whatever you have to face. In fact, you know where it comes from, and you know how to harness it. When you understand and grasp who you are in Christ, you can enjoy your relationship with your Heavenly Father. You can have victory over fear. You can live in soul rest, which is way better than body rest. And finally, when you understand who you are in Christ, there are many, many portions of Scripture like Galatians 2.20 that will take on all brand new meaning to you. Galatians 2.20, Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 2. Are you figuring out that Colossians might be a good book to read with respect to this? It's an awesome book. I'm going to invite our group to come up right now and get in place because we're going to sing a closing song. But friends, as we've shared a little bit of this today, I just wonder, are there any out there today that are forgetting who they are in the Lord? Maybe it's not a radical thing. Maybe, maybe you're not in, in the pigsty, quote-unquote, of the prodigal son situation. But maybe you have really been struggling with certain things because your entire way of reasoning has to do with, with, with you and your goodness or lack thereof, or you and your performance, and you're forgetting that none of that counts before the Father. It is Christ and Christ alone. You live from that verdict out. You live up to who you are. You don't try to create something. You live up to who you are in the Lord. And I just want to encourage you as we sing, as they sing this song, uh, it is going to be about the cross, and it is going to be about the resurrection. And as you listen to it, think not only Jesus Christ, think you, raised to new life in Christ. And walk out of here with the confidence that comes with that identity. And if you don't know the Lord as Savior, I invite you today to come to Him, not just to change your destination, but to change who you are.